Hey everybody, welcome to the Outpost Community Church Podcast. My name's Addison, I'm on staff here as the youth pastor. We are currently going through the book of Matthew, and so we hope you enjoy listening and have a wonderful week of worship. Uh, we're going to we're going to get started this morning in uh, Matthew chapter 25. If you've got a Bible, a phone, we're going to be reading out of Matthew 25, 31 through 46. If I could have this group stand up for the reading of God's word, uh, let's read these 16 verses in Matthew chapter 25, just to set some context for you. Uh, this passage is ending Jesus' teaching to his disciples in Matthew right before he is crucified. So let's keep that in mind as we read Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Jesus is speaking, and he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those to his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You can be seated. So our text for this morning is not the one that we just read, Um, but it's a very important text for us to understand context for where we're going today. If you've been with us here for a while, you know that we're in the Sermon on the Mount right now, the section from Matthew chapter 5 through most of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus goes with his disciples. At first, he sits down, his disciples come to him, and he begins to teach them, and he teaches them the Beatitudes, and then it goes from the Beatitudes onto teaching about 
uh, living a perfect, righteous life. Um, and then from there, he goes into anger and sexual immorality and divorce and how we deal with those who have hurt us. And he's continuing through this sermon. And we've just gotten done with a passage in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is talking about how God will take care of you. He clothes the lilies of the field even though they don't toil or spin. And now out of that passage about not being anxious for tomorrow, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 7. So in your Bibles, if you'll turn to Matthew 7, 1 through 6, this will be where we're going today. So why did we start where we did? There very much is a judgment coming. Jesus himself tells us about it there in Matthew chapter 25. The sheep and goats will be divided by the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. For many of us, we wait for this final judgment with great anticipation because we can't wait for sin to be no more. We can't wait to be freed from our oppressors. So we all have a need. Our need is for justice to be served to those who have wronged us. We have that need within us. But we also have another need. We have a need for justice to be served for our wrongs. Wrongs that we have done toward God and those who are around us. See, the problem with these needs is this. Many of us accept the first. We absolutely know who our oppressors are, who those who hurt us are, and we will be the first to point them out and what they have done to us. We might even have the punishment prepared in our heads for them. But what about the second? How will we stand before the Son of Man in the final judgment, given the things we have done against the Father whom he served, and against those he called us to love on this earth? So that's the question we need to ask ourselves as we look to the text for today, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. So let's read through this text together. And then we'll look at how we're going to break this, uh, this text down today. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Lord, we long for your word. We long for it above uh, any words that, that I could give, Lord. I long for your word to be present in each person that's in this room. Lord, so I pray that you will open our hearts and the eyes of our hearts and the ears of our hearts to both see and hear the word that you have for us and implant that into each of these people that are here, Lord. I pray that there will be lives changed uh, for the better as we submit ourselves humbly to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to break down the text today into three points. The first point will come from verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at God as the judge. So God is the judge, not me, not you. The second point we're going to look at is from verses 3 through 5. We're going to evaluate yourself before you admonish others. 
And then the third point is out of verse 6. And this one is just simply, don't give of your best to dogs and hogs. So at the end of the day, if there's one thing you take away from this sermon, let it be this. Submit yourself and others to the judgment of God with grace, humility, and love. You ready to jump into it? Let's uh, look back at Matthew 7, 1 and 2. So point number one comes from here. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So our first point is that God is the judge, not me or you. This is an important point for us because culturally today, this is not how people see this verse. Before you came in, how many of you had heard of Matthew 7, 1 before? Judge not that you be not judged. There's quite a few hands just slowly popping up here. It's okay. This is a small group of people. We're worshiping together. You can raise your hand if you've, if you've heard that before. Now, I've heard that verse many, many times. And many times, this is how that verse is, is positioned to us. Both the just and the unjust use this verse. Okay? And the unjust might use it even more. And here's how they want to use it. Hey, I got my truth. You got yours. So, you don't judge me, I don't judge you. Have any of you heard that within our culture today? Your truth, my truth. But is that what Jesus was intending with what he said here? I mean, Jesus later says he is the truth. So is there such a thing as your truth and my truth? See, when we go there, when we take this text and we say, Judge not that you be not judged. I have my truth. Don't judge it. What we're doing with God's word is not what we should be doing with God's word. Because when we open up God's word, this is how it should look. God's word is above me. It preaches to me. My life is judged in light of what he says. And when it's not like this, I'm all backwards. You see, what we do when we say, I have my truth, you have your truth, we're all good. We take this word of God, which is to be held up and is to judge ourselves, and we set it right here and we do this. We just set our foot on it and we say, I got my truth. My truth says this, and let me open this up to support my truth. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the wrong way to go at Scripture, and I'm telling you it's the wrong way to go to, to Scripture out of experience, guys. This is how I read God's Word for at least the first 20 years of my life primarily. God, I've got the truth. I know it. Okay, let me find what can support that. It's pretty messed up. So as I go to this text... Let's look at what Jesus is saying when he says, judge not. One of the best ways for us to interpret scripture is with scripture. So let's look at what else God says on this topic of judgment. Now, if you look in the backs of your Bibles at just judge or judgment, you'll find that there are multiple passages. When I was researching this, I counted over 140 passages in scripture having to deal with judgment. So don't worry, I'm not going to be reading 140 texts. But I am going to read four of them here. Uh, The first three come out of 1 Corinthians, and then the last one comes out of John. And just follow on the screen behind me as I read these. So the first, 1 Corinthians 2.15 says that the spiritual person judges all things. 
but is himself to be judged by no one. The second one comes out of 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. And he says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And then a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3, he says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? Unless you think that I'm going to pit Paul against Jesus... Uh, Jesus also talks about this in John 7, 24. He says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So I'm letting you in a little bit to the struggle in preaching. When we, we go to preach, we receive these texts. I receive the text uh, often a month before I, I come to give it to you. And so I'll read it, and there will just be this message that comes to me right away, maybe like, oh, this will be, be pretty easy to preach. It'll be great. And then I'm reading other parts in the Bible and go, wait. Jesus says, judge not, that I be not judged. And Paul says, are you not to judge those inside the church? So what do I do? If I, if I see in one part of Scripture it says judge, and another part of Scripture I say judge not, does Scripture contradict Scripture? No, it never does. And so we have to dig in and ask God, what are you saying in your word? How can we submit ourselves to what it is that you're saying? And I think a text that really colors in what we're reading here in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Uh, this, is, this has been on my heart here for the last couple months. Uh, God's been humbling me greatly through 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter 2, 18, and t- 18 through 23, if you want to turn there, he says... Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, and listen closely to these verses here, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting him, himself to him who judges justly. Does this clear it up a little bit more? Right, this really helped in, in understanding Matthew 7 for me. Because what we see clearly here is that Peter shows us that Jesus entrusted himself to the judge rather than choosing to be the judge. Do you see that in this text? So if we go back in our text, or if we go back in our text, we see here that he's not commanding us in Matthew 7, 1, he's not commanding us to do something that he isn't willing to do himself. 
That, that brings me a lot of peace as I read this. I see that my master, my Lord, Jesus Christ, he commanded me not to judge, but to submit judgment to God. And then he walked it out himself. I mean, a man who would have been closer to him than anyone in this room for sure, and most other people in his day, is the one that wrote the thing that we just read. Did you know that? First Peter was written by Simon Peter, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He walked with him for three years. So he saw firsthand how Jesus responded to being reviled, how he responded to the suffering that he went through. And he tells us about it here towards the end of his life in First Peter. So I have to ask us a question here. As we look at this text and we evaluate Matthew 7, ask yourself, are you the judge or are you entrusting yourself to the judge? In light of the above passage, let's ask ourselves how we deal with the problems in our lives. So when we, revile, or when we get reviled, do we revile in return? When we suffer, do we threaten? If we do, we aren't entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. And we are rather taking on the role of judge ourselves instead of submitting to Christ. When we take on that role of judge, Jesus tells us in verse 2 that we become a judge to ourselves. So back in Matthew 7, 2, he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Paul expands on this a bit in Romans 2, 21 through 24. He says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Brothers and sisters, when we bear the name of Christ, claiming to be Christians, and we judge others with no regard to what the word of God says about our own lives, not only does Jesus say we will be judged in accordance with with our judgment, but others around us are going to see through the hypocrisy in us, and the name of Christ is blasphemed because of us. This is a serious thing. We should rather consider Jesus, look to what he did for us, and look at how we have behaved toward him. So as we self-reflect right now, let's look ahead to verses 3 through 5, because Jesus is going to ask us a couple of self-reflective questions himself. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, own, out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So point number two is evaluate yourself before admonishing others. Jesus' questions here assume that we have a better grasp on the minor problems in the people around us than we do the major problems that we have in ourselves. Now, the major point he's getting at in these three verses is self-reflection, and this is not something that we are naturally skilled in. Did you know that? We have a keen ability that we have been born with to see the need for others to have their issues dealt with 
and a keener ability to not see any issues in ourselves that need to be get dealt with. I am inherently good. I think that about myself, and so I, I act that way in the way I want judgment taken out upon other people. Does anyone in here have children? Or any of you kids? All right. <laughs> We've got one that was a child. That's great. I have four children myself. And so what I just said, like this keen ability that you're born with, I've seen it now four times over, and I remember it back in myself too. And I'm going to walk you through a recent example that I walked through with my, child, my children. I have one son. He is nine years old. He's a very sweet and gentle spirit. Um, and he plays very well with his sisters. He has two younger sisters. They are seven and four years old. And he has an older sister who's 11. Now, this is the way things go in my house a lot. We send them downstairs to play. And we hear them playing downstairs, and all of a sudden, what comes up from the basement? That's exactly right. A shriek. So parents in the room, you know the next step. You look at your spouse, you go, how bad was that? Is it like eye gouged out, broken bone scream? Or is it, they'll probably run up here soon? Usually it's the latter. 95% of the time, my child is screaming downstairs, and I go, they'll be okay. Let's see what happens. So you wait. That first scream stops, and there's like this pause. Okay, how long is the break? Okay, now. Here comes the second scream. And then, inevitably, the door to the basement comes ripping open, and boom, 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 up the 14 steps upstairs. And we're sitting there on the couch, you know, and the child comes up to us just, and I'm talking about my four-year-old right now. She comes up just bawling, you know, and what's wrong, Macy? Isaac is the first thing out of her mouth, and she can't even get it out. Okay, calm down, calm down. Tell me what happened. Isaac hit me right here on the arm. Like, okay, can I see it? She just lifts it up gingerly, and you grab the arm, you inspect it. Are you, are you going to be okay? I don't think so. Like, okay, well, what should happen to Isaac? You should spank him. Like, instantly. Just look me around. Spank him. Okay, well, that makes sense. He inflicted pain upon you. We should go inflict pain upon him. Yeah, let's do that. But first, can I ask you a question? Yeah. What'd you do to him? Well, Willow was, uh, was punching him. Oh, was it just Willow? Well, I, I was sort of, I was sort of punching him too. Oh, okay. Was that a game? Yeah, it was just a game. Like, did he like the game? I, I think so. I mean, he said to stop, but he seemed to be liking it. Okay, how, how could you tell he was liking it? Well, he, he wasn't like, Pushing back? Oh, okay, so he was trying to get away from you? Well, yeah. So he's doing this. Girl, stop, stop, stop. And then they finally swarm him, and he goes, bah! and in trying to defend himself by putting his arms up, he clocks her in the arm with his elbow. So now I have the whole story. All of a sudden, my four-year-old isn't quite so innocent. And I have to look back at her and I say, so... You were, you were punching him? 
Yeah. So if I should spank him, what should I do with you? Well, if you've ever asked your child a question like that, you'll notice the complexion on their, change, on their face changes in an instant. They go, oh. And all of a sudden, like the most important attribute in the world of that child is forgiveness. Have you seen that? Oh, well, you know, you don't have to spank him anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, what about you? You don't have to spank him. Don't spank me. <laughs> and so my child knows about this, and you see it in my, you know, in my child's face. She knows I was the guiltier party in this instance, and so yeah, I, I, I'm going to choose to go forgive him. But see, even though this is a bit humorous, talking about kids, the same thing happens with us when we deal with our own sin before confronting our brothers and sisters in Christ. So before I go to deal with my brother that lied to me, I have to ask the question, Lord, how many times have I vowed to never do something again for you? I promised to follow you in this way or this way, and I have not followed through. I've lied to you over and over and over. And do you forgive me? The good news is he does. But as I meditate on what I've done against my Savior, it changes my heart towards my brother who's lied to me. Does that make sense? Wives, before you go to confront your husband because he's planted in front of the TV instead of choosing you, Stop for a minute and consider, Lord, how many times have I chosen idol, idols of my heart instead of time abiding with you? Okay, doing these things, what they do is they make us humble. They don't change the fact that there's hurt. They don't change the fact that someone has hurt you. They don't change the fact that that still needs to be dealt with, but it changes your heart toward them. And that's what we're after here. I mean, this list goes on and on. I won't continue to go through the millions of examples we could. But this allows you to forgive before you go confront. Because you realize that Jesus has forgiven you of much greater things. Now, there's a couple of ways um, that I am helped in my self-evaluation. And probably the biggest one is by inviting those that are in around me to admonish me. That's not the most comfortable thing to do. Um, have you ever sat at a table with a group of close friends and said, all right, guys, spit it. How am I a horrible person? <laughs> you know, tell me. I'm open to hearing it. What do I need to work on? It's not comfortable to do, but you'll find that when you ask that to the people that are close to you, they might have a few things that they've been holding out on telling you. And it will help you realize things about yourself that maybe you didn't realize before. Another way is pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Any regeners in here who have memorized that? Search me, O Lord, and try my heart. See if there be any wicked way within me. And know my thoughts. You know, he's really opening up an invitation for the Lord to humble him. 
because we have to admit we don't see the log very well that's in our eye. But I'll tell you what, after you've done this, the next thing he says to do is go. So it's not as if, uh, what I, don't hear what I'm not saying to you this morning. I'm not saying you are so bad, your problems are so bad, you should never go and talk to somebody else about theirs. That's, that's a message straight from Satan. I'm saying that evaluate your heart before the Lord, but then go. Because the fact is, there still is a speck in your brother's eye, right? There are specks in people that you love. There are things they are doing that are hurting them. And they're also hurting you. And that needs to be dealt with. So you go. The pain that's been caused to you is real. The pain that your brother is dealing with by having unrepentant sin is real for them as well. Like there's a separation from our Savior that we feel when we have unrepentant sin. And there's nothing more loving than for you to go and bring that brother or bring that sister back into good relationship with Christ. That admonishment can be painful, but it is a beautiful way to restore the relationship between the two of you and between them and Christ. So go. Do that. Um, Deal with the logs in your own eye, and then go and see clearly to help your brother or your sister with the specks in their eye. But as we look ahead to our final point in Matthew 7, 6, we'll realize the sad reality that not everyone wants the specks taken out of their eye. In fact, some will bite back at you in self-defense or even turn to attack you when you try to help them. So let's read Matthew 7, 6. He says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So point three, don't give of your best to dogs and hogs. Pigs eat everything. They roll in the mud, they snort, and they attack if threatened. That last part may throw you off because you're probably thinking about the cute, cuddly, pink pigs like Babe. Like, does anyone watch the movie Babe? Or am I the only one that grew up in a really conservative Christian household that only watched movies like Babe? So in the movie Babe, this little pig, you know, learns to speak sheep. And he can speak to the sheep, I am you. And all the sheep gather up and they do everything he tells them to do. He's just this gentle little pig. Jesus is talking more about the hogs that you might see in like Arkansas or Texas. Anyone know about those hogs in here? Yeah, in our uh, first service, yeah, there's a hog fan back there, Razorbacks. I don't care about the Razorbacks, but I'm happy you do. Um, The hogs that are down there are a little bit more ferocious. Uh, One of our members that was here in the first service, Ashley Lundvall, has gone down and actually hunted them. And when I asked her about what these hogs were like, she's like, they are mean, aggressive, and they destroy everything. That's the hog Jesus is talking about here. You don't want to mess with these pigs. They're ferocious and very dangerous when they attack. Dogs, they eat, they bark, and they bite. You might tell by the way I'm describing dogs, I don't own one. If you're thinking about the dog that you own, it probably, you're like, how can he say those things? I, I love my dog. Well, Jesus isn't talking about your poodle. He's, he's talking a little bit more about the dogs that would have been in his day. Wild, mangy, or the one that lives right next door to me. 
And I'll tell you about that one. So for six years, we've had a house down below the hospital, and we have this neighbor, and he's old. He can't hear a thing. Um, and he has a dog named Misty who barks her head off. For over six years, this dog barks. Every time we're in the backyard and he lets Misty out, she comes racing over to the fence, just barking her head off at us. And every time I look, I'm like, we've been here for like 3,000 days. Like, how do you not recognize us at this point? When I go into their backyard, she's just gentle and docile and really nice. But when I'm on the other side of the fence, she just barks her head off at me and my kids. She wakes my kids up when they're napping. It's horrible. So I tried something. Um, well, I'll tell you first. After six years, I realized something about her. She's a dog. It took me six years. But let me tell you how I really witnessed it firsthand. One day I went out there, and she comes screaming again. I was like, you know, I'm going to use the grace and love and mercy that Jesus has done in my heart to go soothe this dog. All right, really stupid. But here's what I did. I come over to the chain link fence right between our yards. I get down like this, and I am a foot away from her just barking like crazy at me. And I'm just looking, smiling. I'm like, hey, hi, Misty. I'm your neighbor. And I put my hand up next to the chain link like this. And she goes, <laughs> like, all right, you don't mean that. Like, I'm a nice guy, even though I've thrown rocks at you before. I'm a nice guy now, you know. Stay calm, smell my hand, get to know my scent. Now, Misty, I'm slowly coming up. Now my hand's on top of the fence. I'm going to turn it this way, slowly slide over. It's okay. I'm your friend. I mean you no harm. Well, it was about at the spot that I think I said harm that she jumped up and took a chunk out of my fourth finger, and I was left to think about my idiocy for the next month as it healed. So what I realized about myself is that I am an idiot because she is a dog. I cannot change her. As much as I wanted to, she was not ever going to let my softest, my most gentle, my holiest attempt go without her biting my finger. Sadly, though, some of us are dogs and hogs. We may be okay with admonishing others, telling them what's wrong with them, but we're not open to admonishment ourselves. We stiff-arm well-meaning Christians, or worse yet, we attack and berate them and make them feel horrible when they go out of their way to try to help us. If you are the one trying to help, Jesus' words are clear. Now, I do want to say there are some relationships you've been called to in your life, maybe to a spouse, maybe to parents, to children, where you'll put up with more maybe in those situations because of what God's called you to. But Jesus' words here are pretty clear. Unless there's a separate call from God to endure in the relationship with someone, like I just said, spouse, parents, children, it's okay to walk away from trying to help dogs and hogs. 
you're ultimately wasting your time. Entrust their well-being to the Lord because they don't want your help. This is one of the hardest things I've ever had to preach because I have the hardest time walking away. And I was talking to Al about this outside before we came in today. It's so hard to walk away from people, isn't it? And sometimes, you know, you're not called to, but Jesus is giving you permission here with dogs and hogs that you're not to give them what's holy. You're not to cast your pearls before them. The problem for me in in walking away is that I want to save people, and that's a misguided hope. I need to entrust them to the only one who can save. And that's what we're called to do. You're not called to fix dogs and hogs. You're called to lead them to the one who can fix them, and if they reject it, continue to pray for them, but you don't have to continue putting yourself into that situation. So who is the one who can save? When Thomas asked Jesus the way to heaven, he says to him in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only one, church, who can save. He's the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can save those that are around you. I guess I said earlier, if there's one takeaway you have, it should be this. That should be the one takeaway that you have. Jesus is the only one who can make it all right. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. But nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. That's a hard thing. Do we believe that? Uh, In light of the final judgment that we read about earlier, I'd say that's a significant enough thing that I should believe that. If we truly believe Jesus' words that there is going to be a judgment one day and goats are going to be cast out and sheep are going to enter into his eternal rest, shouldn't we be doing everything in our power while God has given us breath on this earth to bring others into the sheepfold with us? Do you want to see your friends be cast out as goats? It's the last thing I want. So let me give you a warning this morning. If you're not in Christ, Please listen closely. You don't have to wait until the judgment day to be judged. Remember that. If you are banking on your good deeds to get you there, you've made yourself the judge, and it will not go well for you in that day. Jesus said earlier in this Sermon on the Mount that unless our righteousness stands up to the perfect law of God, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So our holy God will judge sin and will not allow it in his eternal rest. Isn't that, I mean, that's something we can take hope in. There will be an eternity with no sin. It's free, you know, free from the bondage that has weighed us down here. The good news that we just mentioned earlier is that there are two places where sin is judged. Where are those two places? We read about one already there in Matthew 25, Where is that place on the final judgment day? Who bears that judgment? 
the goats, the sinners, right? Those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. But why does putting your faith in Jesus Christ allow you to be a sheep? Because there's a second place. There's a second place where sin has been judged. And where is that place? It's on the cross. That's what Jesus has done for you. He's taken on the responsibility of judgment on himself. He bore the weight of all of your sin on that cross as he hung there. And he said, even though I was perfect, even though I don't deserve this, I want them to be saved from that final day of judgment because you weren't going to make it. I wasn't going to make it. If I stood before God and let my deeds be judged, I'd be going straight to hell with all the goats. But my sin has been judged on the cross. Has yours? If it has, you have so much to rejoice in today. You have freedom in your heart. You have freedom in your soul. You have been forgiven of more than you could ever imagine in Jesus Christ. So because God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross and promised that all who believe in him will be set free from their sin and will no longer face the judgment of God on that final day, what does that do in your heart right now? All of the mercy of God poured out on you. You owe him nothing because he's forgiven it. Mercy, not getting what you deserve totally poured out on you. All the grace of Jesus Christ lavished upon you. What's grace? Crediting everything that he did in his perfect life to you. Everything Jesus did is credited to you when you believe in him. That's grace. Mercy and grace that we feel in Jesus Christ combines to just overwhelm us with the love of God. There's no height, there's no depth, there's no breadth, there's no width that could ever separate us from the love of God. It is the greatest, it is the greatest thing that could possibly guide me as I walk through this life. When I abide within the love of my Savior, Jesus Christ, it overwhelms me. The devil has no place there. He can't get to you as you're abiding in the love of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? The people around you that have oppressed you, they cannot get to you as you are abiding in the love of Jesus Christ. It is a safe haven for those of you who choose to rest in it. Do you believe that? You are now free from judgment if you believe in Jesus because he took your judgment on the cross. Therefore, do not judge others, but entrust them to God's righteous judgment. Consider your own sin, which God has graciously set you free from, before you go to admonish others in their sin. But go and help others run to the mercy, grace, and love of Jesus Christ, so that they can be set free from the specks in their eyes. And for those who bite you, Trample on your good gifts and turn to attack you. Turn them over to the Lord. Pray for him to set them free, just as he set you free. Remember, submit yourself and others to the judgment of God with grace, 
humility, and love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is alive. Lord, my heart leaps at a future with you. No longer burdened and weighed down by my own judgmental flesh. Please, God, speak to this people today. Set their hearts free from the oppressor who lies to them, tells them all sorts of things about themselves that are not true, and continues to blind those that are around them. Lord, set us free. By the power of your Holy Spirit, please set us free. Let us walk in oneness with one another. Walk committed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took it all on the cross for us and rose again on the third day and was made the ruler in heaven and on earth, the righteous judge.